Hi, welcome to Cinema Scene on Gardner Webb University Radio, WGWG.org. I'm Noel T. Manning II, hanging out with Adam Long. We talk movies right here on Gardner Webb University Radio. Hey, buddy, how are you, man? I'm doing well, doing fairly well. I hope you are as well. Yes, absolutely, man, absolutely. Uh, good things happening, uh, bad things happening, crazy things happening um, all over the box office. And uh, we will talk that. If you've never listened to Cinema Scene, um, you uh, are in for a treat, or at least we like to say you're in for a treat. Uh, we are uh, going to be talking about all kinds of movies. We'll talk about box office releases. We'll talk about Blu-ray uh, and DVD releases uh, that are out, and also we'll uh, we'll talk about some other films that you probably ought to check out uh, or maybe need to stay away from. So that's uh, what we'll talk about uh, today on Cinema Scene. Well, Adam, why don't we jump in with some of the Blu-ray uh, DVD stuff that uh, that you want to share? Because we've got uh, a lot to talk about uh, as far as do. box office news uh, for last weekend and uh, catching up on some films we need to share with our audience as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, we've got a couple of things here worth mentioning. Um, uh, the um, Criterion was supposed to have two uh, DVD uh, releases today, uh, the 18th. That's the day we're recording this. You, uh, our listeners will be hearing it at a different time, but uh, the day we're recording this is the 18th, and they were supposed to be issuing Francois Truffaut's Day for Night, which is uh, the 1973 Oscar winner for Best Foreign Film, a great film, one of the greatest films about the making of what it, what goes into the making of a major motion picture? It's about all the headaches and and all the the dealing with the uh, egos of the actors and the the things that can go wrong in a movie set. If, I couldn't recommend it more. But that's out on Blu-ray from Criterion, and they were supposed to be issuing Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. Of course, we all know how big of a of De Palma fan I am. Oh but that's yes, that's been recalled. Actually, uh, they put something on the disc that wasn't they didn't have legal clearances for, from what I'm hearing. And uh, so it's going to be delayed until September 8th. Oh, wow. Uh, which is interesting. And some of our uh, colleagues received early copies of that for review. Ah. And they've got some of those. And uh, I'd like to see what exactly is on their disc <laughs> that's not going to be on. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, but man. They, uh, but that, they, did, they, they yanked that sucker, and it's not coming out until September 8th, which I'm excited about it, uh, getting my hands on that, because that is a great masterpiece of suspense. Uh, here's uh, here's something to take you back a little bit. How about Hackers? Oh, the dude. 20th anniversary yeah. edition of Hackers. Wow. Yeah. That's coming out, and we have uh, the Western, A Town Called Hell, a uh, horror film, Burn Witch Burn, uh, the uh, Italian, you know, with the same thing that Clint Eastwood did with the uh, the Man With No Name trilogy. Well, uh, uh, Burt Reynolds attempted that as well with Navajo Joe. That's an Italian western that Burt Reynolds was in, uh, and it's a revenge film. And that's coming out. Uh, that's actually pretty good. If uh, any of our listeners haven't seen that, it's definitely worth seeing. How about the Couch Trip with Walter Matthau and Oh yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah, that's that's coming out uh, as well as The Hunger. Okay, about that David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, those are all kind of directed by Tony Scott, one of his first uh, major films before Top Gun, we might add. Uh, how about um, uh, Digstown? <laughs> Going back to the 90s. Oh, wow. There you go, man. Yeah, there, yeah definitely. Digstown. And, uh, and then we have um, the John McTiernan film. John McTiernan, who went on to direct uh, the first and third installments of uh, the Die Hard series. 
uh, one of his early films from 1986, Nomads, with Pierce Brosnan and Leslie Ann Down. Yeah, I love. So, you know, I really uh, remember how much I loved that film. Now I have not yeah. seen it since, uh, probably since it came out. Um, yeah. But it's definitely one I'd love to revisit. Yeah, and uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, rather, is uh, is putting that out and uh, with a special uh, and a special edition with all kinds of bells and whistles. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's coming out down the pike and. Um, uh, and we'll go ahead and cover next week's right quick uh, sure. while we're at it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Two weeks. And next week we've got um, uh, probably one of the biggest bombs of the summer. We'll talk a little bit more about some dis- recent disappointments. But as far as early disappointments, Aloha, the Cameron Crowe film. Yes. Uh, really, it's already out on, and it was wow. only released, oh, it was only uh, three months ago. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's, it's we're talking like um, 12 weeks ago. This was just getting in theaters, and now we have it on Blu-ray. Wow. Uh, so that's August 25th. A double feature of Rodney Dangerfield's Easy Money and Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez's Minute Work. How's that for a double feature? Yeah. <laughs> there you go, man. Yeah, there you go. And Easy Money is a great comedy, by the way, for anybody. I I actually, in some ways, prefer it to Back to School, which Back to School is a great movie, don't get me wrong. But there, uh, in some ways, I actually think Easy Money is just slightly funnier, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I, I like uh, both of those films. But, yeah, there, yeah. there's uh, uh, Easy Money also had a great title track by uh, uh, Bill uh, Billy, Billy Joel. Joel. Billy Joel. Yes, yep. it is, yeah. Yep. That's a, it's a very funny movie. Although Back to School is undeniably great, too. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, Daniel was a film uh, written based on a novel by E.L. Doctorow, who died just a couple of weeks ago. He also wrote The Ragtime, which is made into a film. Uh, Timothy Hutton is in this film, and it's loosely based on the story of the Rosenbergs. If you remember the Jewish couple who were uh, uh, in the 50s who were accused of spying, and they were sent to the electric chair, or either they, they, were, they, were, they, were, um, they were basically put to death. I can't remember if it was an electric chair or put to sleep. But anyway, this is a fictionalized version of, of the child of, of the Rosenbergs and what he had to go through losing his mother, mom and dad through that ordeal. It's a really powerful movie. Uh, the Last American Virgin. How about that one? Oh, man, I remember uh, that one, too. Wow, some uh, interesting ones you got. Yep, and The Last Dragon. How yeah. about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back through the 80s here. Yes. Definitely. The horror film The Cinder with okay. Catherine Harold. That's yeah. one that I remember that's a pretty good one. And one of my favorite films of the 80s, well, here's one that's not one of my favorite <laughs> still, it's Student Bodies. Oh. Not terrible, but, uh, you know, not my, yeah. not, not a, not a, I can't say it's a favorite, but this yeah. one is a favorite, and that would be The World According to Gart. Oh, wow, yeah. I think uh, that's one of the greatest, probably one of the greatest performances of, uh, of, uh, Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yep. who we just celebrated his one-year anniversary of his, yeah. of his death. And if we want to remember him, I would recommend all of our listeners go and get the world according to Garp, and you'll see what a really, really great actor he was. So anyway, those are some suggestions from uh, in our uh, home video segment. Sounds great, go. man. Yeah, great. Uh, that was a great film. That was an absolutely yes. amazing film. Um, and it's, it's one that has held up just from a story standpoint. And oh, yeah. to me, that's what it goes back to. If you can have a story that can hold up um it's got kind of a timeless uh feel to it and and you know you can watch it years later and it's still there it's still worthy it is um you know so many films today 
that we have there are these uh, that are the box office bonanzas are all really all about the action, the special effects. And those are great for a short amount of time, but as years progress and as uh, technology is enhanced, if you don't have a good story to go along with that, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the road, you look back and you go, you know, um, that just doesn't hold up. And uh, I've been doing that by going back and watching some of these films that were these big blockbuster special effects kind of films from, from a few years ago. And I'm like, wow, yeah. they're already dated. You know, they're already dated, and it's really, uh, really interesting. Uh, the story's not there. Um, you, you can lose a lot. So it does go to the story uh, for that long-term success uh, or that legacy of the picture, we should say. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but, yeah, that's, a, that, that, that's my recommendation. If I were to, um, to recommend uh, something, that would be it. And uh, if you're an ELO fan, coming up in a couple of weeks, they're going to be issuing a, a Jeff Lynn's ELO Live in Hyde Park uh, on Blu-ray. So that should be interesting. So that's a little teaser for something that's for music fans out there that's coming in a couple of weeks. So if you're an ELO fan, look for that one. All right, let me, let me go ahead and, and uh, throw in, you're talking about uh, ELO. We'll talk about documentaries uh, quickly. Uh, Evil Knievel was this guy that I remember back from the, from the 70s. You know, he would uh, get on motorcycles, and he would jump over crazy things. He would jump over canyons and, and like, rockets. I mean, he was nuts. And uh, this guy was extreme sports before extreme sports had a name, and his name was Evil Knievel. And uh, he was really kind of the inspiration for the, uh, the episodes uh, on Happy Days. Uh, Fonzie, you know, first jumping over uh, some things in a, in a uh, um, you know, on a motorcycle and almost dying. And then later on, jumping the sharks. And that's where we get the term jumping the sharks from, mm-hmm. uh, from that particular episode where he literally jumped over a bunch of sharks while he was on, uh, on skis. And uh, this the quality of the show went downhill there. Yeah, it did. It did. Absolutely. And that's that's whenever we talk about a show jumping the sharks, that's what we're talking about on TV. But this documentary by Evil Knievel, it it covers his entire life. Um, It's got uh, interviews with his uh, with his son, interviews with uh, old high school classmates, uh, former loves of his life. Um, and, uh, and, uh, also has a really a great, great, uh, series of interviews, um, by the, 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 the guy who brought the world jackass. And, uh, he is really uh, involved in, in this. And I tell you, it, it really is a great story. Uh, it's done wonderfully well with, uh, old archived photos and, uh, and film footage. But what you really get a sense for is this guy was, he made his own legend. And by that, I mean... He was his own PR agent, and I'll give you just a brief example. There's there's a time when he was uh, going to be jumping all the fountains at, uh, at one of the Las Vegas uh, palaces there, um, and uh, what he did is he had already kind of set it up and got approval to do it, but in order to, to beef up publicity, he called the uh, the owner of this establishment every day with different accents, with you know different names. Going, hey, this this uh, this this evil connival dude. What what's that all about? What's what, uh-huh. how did you guys do this? It was like, hey, this this uh, this canoeval. What what is this whole sports thing you guys have going on? So every day he would call, you know, planting these seeds. And finally, this guy who was owning it ended up really publicizing it even more. And uh, and that's what evil Knievel would do is he would go out and make his own publicity and he'd be his own PR guy. So. 
Um, Being Evil is the name of the documentary. It's about an hour, 42, 43 minutes. Well worth watching, and uh, it is available, uh, will be available uh, this weekend. So uh, I encourage you to, if, if you're interested in documentaries and interested in extreme sports and a, a piece of our history that really set the standard for kind of showmanship, um, this this is a film uh, worth watching. And uh, I remember the uh, ABC's Wild World of Sports, and they did a lot of coverage of Evil Knievel stunts. Uh, throughout his years as well. So uh, Johnny Knoxville is a guy that I mentioned earlier that's heavily involved as an uh, interview subject for this. So Being Evil, uh, well worth watching, uh, a solid uh, A- minus uh, for, for that particular uh, documentary. Awesome. All right, well, let's, uh, let's dive into our box office last weekend. We had uh, not necessarily a surprise at number one, but just by how much money a surprise at number one. Yeah, very much so. Um, I'll run through the top five of the box office, and then we'll uh, recap our thoughts on some of those films. And then we'll uh, look a little deeper into the box office on some films that aren't quite in the top ten, but uh, but worth talking about as well. Number five last weekend, the movie The Gift, the psychological thriller. Uh, budget of this, $5 million. Uh, it's already brought in 23.5 total gross. Last weekend was a 6.5. Fantastic Four uh, continuing to uh, to die and continuing to show less than fantastic numbers at the box office. Eight million last weekend. Uh, total gross uh, forty two million after a couple weekends. Uh, just continuing to really die hard. And what's uh, what's amazing? This is in over four thousand theaters and uh, only number four at the box office for its second week. Man from Uncle was number three last weekend. Debuted there. At 13.4 million, Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation continuing to hold strong, uh, continuing to do well in its third week. It was number two last weekend with 17 million uh, worldwide gross for this. Adam is uh, 373 million dollars at the box office. Tom Cruise will definitely be back uh, for a uh, for another one of these, I would uh, I would think. And uh, number one film last weekend, uh, as I said, not a surprise it was number one, but I was very surprised it brought in this kind of money, these kind of dollars. Uh, only in uh, 2,700 theaters, which sounds like a lot, but out of the top five, um, it's actually number, uh, it, the, the only thing that's uh, less than that in the top five is the gift. Uh, everything else has got way more theaters, uh, most of them over 1,000 more theaters. So you're looking at uh, a 21,000, almost a $22,000 average per screen for straight out of Compton. Um, the uh, based on the true story of uh, of some rap pioneers. So uh, let's get your thoughts on on this particular film on why this uh, this movie has just resonated with audiences. Um, I I think the time was right. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia for uh, the late hip hop from the late '80s, and there's a lot of um, you know, it's it's kind of like the Jurassic Park thing. You know, everything old is new again, and yep. you've got this yep. generation who's coming up, and they're they're interested in and in, in fascinated by things that uh, basically took place in in our youth, <laughs> yours right. and right. mine, and yeah. many other people. You know, and I think that's that it's kind of hitting on that same uh, nostalgia nerve that the Jurassic World hit upon. Uh, this is a much better film than Jurassic World. I will say that which was just middling to average. This is a really fantastic movie. Um, I think it's extremely well made. Uh, If you're not a fan of hip-hop or gangster rap or that kind of stuff, I'm not sure that it's going to be the film for you, but 
then I guess you'd know that going into it. Right, but, right. Uh, the movie's got it all. I mean, it's got tragedy on a grand scale. It's got sentiment. It's got, uh, it's, you know, there's it's all there. I mean, there's, it's it's got uh, a little sense of humor too from time to time. It's I mean, there's it's it's really you know it's a riveting film. It's engrossing. Um, it's never boring two hours and 27 minutes, but never, I mean, I could have sat through any, another half hour easily. If anything, it felt too short to me. And, uh, you know, the performance are great. The performances are great. Uh, you know, we all know the members of NWA. They're they're pretty iconic by now. You, you know, you get Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and Easy e and they're so well-known, so it's hard to imagine somebody portraying them on screen, but uh, these people they've chosen do a yeah. really excellent job, and of course, it's interesting that um, uh, Ice Cube is portrayed by his 24-year-old son. Yes. Which, uh, and it's not a case of nepotism, from from what I understand. Uh, I have what I understand is that he had to audition for the part that Ice Cube recommended that he go and audition, but he had to go through an audition just like everybody else, and they chose him. Uh, he looks a lot like his dad. Yeah, he does. Course. He's got the mannerisms down. Yep. And, and all of that. Uh, but it's it's really but the most compelling character in the film would have to be Suge Knight as portrayed in the film by R. Marcos Taylor, and he's just a very scary dude. Let's just say that. I mean, there's a scene in the film where somebody takes his parking space and the guy and he beats the guy within an inch of his life just for taking his parking space, and it's that kind of stuff that runs through the the film, you know. And uh, does it gloss over some of the darker elements of uh, of their personal lives? Yeah, I'm sure it does. I mean it. It's you know it, there's there was misogynistic uh, overtones to some of the things that they did they they rapped about and this that and the other and, and you know they they don't really uh, you know they 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 kind of whitewash some of that for sure but that's okay I mean the I feel like the film is pretty well balanced it's a it's a pretty uh, and it's it's you know it, it's it does have some of the biopic tra- trappings that you find in these kind of movies but. Somehow it it it, uh, it still manages to um, to rise above those cliches and and become a compelling film in its own right. So I, I'm going to give it an A minus. It's really really good stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the time is just right, and that's why people are going to see it. So yeah, I echo uh, exactly what you said. This film uh, does really kind of have it all, and it's a well produced story, and it captures you early on. Um, you don't really have to wait until it captures you. I mean, you're drawn into this pretty, pretty early on. And um, yeah. it's, uh, it, it, like I said, it's, uh, it's not a glamorous story. No, um, I mean, there's some glamorous not. elements to, to what happens to celebrities, but with what these guys went through and what uh, was um, portrayed of their lives, um, not necessarily glamorous by, by, by any means. Um, you know, violence... Um, you know the chaos that kind of surrounds uh, sur- surrounds and has been associated with with rap and hip hop. It's there, you know. You see it there, uh, but but I, I'll say this thing: this story came came to life. It really did. I was incredibly impressed with it. Uh, I thought the uh, the actors that were chosen did did a fantastic job um, uh, pulling this together, and it's resonating with audiences and uh, and it's also resonating with critics as well. Um, I, you know, you mentioned it's it's time, and I think I think you're right. I think it was time for a film like this, but I think it was also time for a 
a good biopic um, that, um, you know, in the kind of, as we've been so used to seeing so many other things this summer, it was perfect timing for it. And I'm just, I'm happy to see something like this uh, do well at the box office. So, I am too. I am yeah. too. It's on, on a budget of $29 million. They're doing quite well for themselves. And, uh, you know, it's, um, these, these are the kind of mid, uh, middle budget films that we don't see much anymore. You, nowadays, it's either micro budgets or budgets that are overrunning. And, right, uh, exactly. This is kind of a middle size, middle, mid budget film that, um, you know that got that they that they uh, and you just don't see much of that anymore. And I hope this will teach them a lesson, and maybe they'll do more of it uh, yeah. in the future. Yeah, let's hope so. I well, hope. but um, it's uh, it's interesting to note also that it's directed by F. Gary Gray, who directed the real Ice Cube in Friday. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that should be really interesting. I wonder what he was thinking when he was directing his twenty-four-year-old son. You know, after all yeah. these years. It's like, you know, 20 years ago I was directing your dad <laughs> Friday. Yeah, uh, this yeah. This is weird. This it is, is surreal. But well, anyway, well I, so. straight out of Compton, A- minus on from both of us. I mean, I, I yeah, give it an A- minus sure. as well. Uh, one that I'm not going to give an A-, minus. we'll, we'll, uh, we'll da- dance down to number four, uh, Fantastic Four, um, a film that uh, not only died with, uh, with audiences, but it also died a really horrible death with most critics. Um, I'm one of those. Um, yeah. I am a, uh, I, I'm a fan of superhero films, uh, so I've got that good baggage going in for a superhero film. I'm, I'm hoping and expecting it to, to mm-hmm. be something worth watching. Uh, my son is as well, and so anytime there are any kind of superhero films around, I'll take my son, and I think you do pretty much the same thing with yours. So, uh, you know, we went in, and, and I, I went in hoping for, uh, for something good, even though the, the, pre, the pre-buzz was, was negative. I always try to stay away from the pre-buzz as much as I can, and it's becoming harder and harder um, with advanced screenings that, that we're involved in and even uh, earlier advanced screenings that happened uh, even before we get a chance to see them. Um, right. But, you know, when initially I heard they were rebooting this and started hearing some of the things that they were doing. Uh, changing um, some of the the story elements of the origin story, changing uh, some pretty significant things with the cast members as far as um, their their biological makeup and where they came from. I, I took all that in stride and I said, well, you know, okay, it, it's a it's a reboot, and and when you do a reboot and you're retooling something, you know, it's okay to make some of those changes. So I didn't let that bother me. But when I went in, Adam, I went in and um, I. I I thought the start was pretty interesting because you get to see these kids, and so you really are getting kind of an interesting, truly an interesting backstory on a couple of kids in particular. And I like the way they did that. But um, as the movie progressed for me, and I'm talking about as it progressed after the first 15 minutes, um, I started seeing some really flat performances, and I started seeing this story that just seemed to be stretching out and stretching out and stretching out and stretching out. And it, it, the movie itself really never got to the meat of the story until the last third of it for me. And it just took way too long to get there. And those were some of the issues I had with it. You know, part of the problem now, now this movie had been released 10, 15 years ago. Maybe it would have, would have done better. But one of the problems is now when people, and I'm talking about general audience members, are going to see a superhero film, if you don't provide them enough action, 
early on, then it's not it's going to flop. It will not succeed. Um, and uh, that's some of the problems that it's, that it's having, not appealing to overall audiences. But it was missing a lot of other things, too. It really felt like they weren't really sure where they were going, what audience they were going after. And, um, you know, and, and the villain, you know, we've seen Dr. Doom before. And, uh, you know, this Dr. Doom, you know, a little bit of an interesting, different origin story. But, uh, you know, his motivation... I really didn't kind of buy into his motivation once we saw he became the villain. And so I saw just a ton of issues with this film, but those are just a few going into it. So uh, I, I, even with that, I, to me, it was average. Um, I could be really bad and, and give it like a D, but I'm going to give it a, a C. I'm saying it was an average film. It wasn't, uh, I didn't find it the most horrible thing I've ever seen, the most horrible superhero film I've ever I've ever seen. But, uh, you know, I, I think it did give you an origin story. And I think, honestly, uh, probably a second version of this, which is not going to happen, not right now, um, would probably do better because you did set it up. But you basically had an hour and, what, 42, 43 minutes of, of an origin story where you didn't really get to see, see the superheroes truly in action until the last part of the film. So there's my take on this film. And you've got, uh, you've got about five minutes or so to, to give your thoughts on this. Uh, well, I'll try to wrap this up real quick, but <laughs> I will give it a D. I will absolutely okay. give it a All D. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, when we left the theater, my son said, you know, Dad, this was so terrible that the uh, the one from 2007 was better. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. It was. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when, you're, when your 14-year-old yep. son's telling you that this film yep. is so bad that the one he would prefer to go back home and watch the one from 2007, yep. you know you're in trouble. Yep. Uh, Josh Trank, the director of this film, uh, is the director of Chronicle, uh, made for $12 million dollars and it grossed uh it did fairly well i can't remember the numbers you know but a couple of years ago that was a really good movie chronicle uh made for a modest budget and then it did well so that's what they're doing these days they're taking these directors who are making these micro-budgeted films and when one of them does well they give them a franchise and and let them see what they can do that's what they did with colin trevorrow they gave him jurassic world he obviously succeeded and gareth edwards uh got he got the Godzilla franchise last year. Uh, but here we have Josh Trank, who directed this uh, the Chronicle, which was admittedly a good film. And uh, what I understand is that a lot of the problems with this film ha- had to deal with, ha- have to do with the fact that he just was in over his head. He could not handle the pressure. Yep. Um, there's a lot of personal drama going on in his life. There was uh, some sort of, uh, he was renting a house in uh New Orleans, where they were shooting the film, and he had a, he had a, some kind of a, uh, a run-in with the uh, landlords of the place where he was renting. Half the time, he would not show up on set. He was nowhere to be found. Uh, just you know, he he could not handle the pressure. He was just missing an action a lot of the time, and just and now he's you know trashing the film left and right. And 20th Century Fox just, you know, they, they, they realized they were in trouble. Once yep. they got, the, the film is his vision, yep. regardless of what he says. His name's on the script there. Yep. And uh, he claims that 20th Century Fox took the film away from him, but uh, probably for good reason if they did. But they've only got so much to work with. They can't, they can't, uh, they, they can't make a masterpiece when they don't have the raw material to make a masterpiece out of the film. So I think that, you know, a lot of the, the problem with this film is, that, and, and I heard he was belligerent, too, 
to the actors. Uh, he and Miles Teller actually almost came to physical blows at one point on the set. Uh, they had to be pulled apart, literally. Uh, so that's the kind of shenanigans that were going on yeah. while this film was being uh, in while this film was in production. So if that that when you've got that kind of tumultuous uh, goings on behind the scenes, it, it, sometimes it makes for a good film, but a lot of times the results will show on screen, and it certainly did here. So I think the the, the, the off camera drama certainly contributed to to the product we're seeing. And um, so anyway, yep. that's my take on it. It is a terrible film. Uh, it's probably it's definitely bottom of the barrel and one of the worst Marvel films I've seen. Maybe not the worst, but it's certainly there. So. Yeah, and and I and my uh, grade C actually was averaged with my son's. I, I actually yeah. had a D plus on it, and so I, I, yeah. I he liked a few things of it, and and so I, I averaged mine up to a C. But yeah, my my straight just me D plus. Um, I, I do blame 20th Century Fox though. Um, they should have uh, had a closer reign on this, and they should have looked at what they had. And knowing the audience, they should have held off. You know, they yeah. should have held off. They should have said, you know what, this is not working. You know, we've got, if we're going to do this and we want this to be a franchise film and not just a one-shot film, we've got to do something. Because it was obvious a- after looking at it, I'm like, man, you know, you got to go back. you you got to be, you got to keep a tighter rein on this, especially when, Superhero films can be your bread and butter, and uh, and that's kind of where the bread and butter is now. And so, uh, we as audiences are kind of numb to those. We've seen so many of them, and there's so many more coming out in the next few years. Um, with but with, I will say this: if too many more films like the Fantastic Four come out, uh, the superhero film franchises will be dying, and uh, it it'll, it might take a lot to bring them back to life. So we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. Yep. Well, uh, Adam, we are uh, we are out of time. Uh, give me your um, your your thirty uh, eight second take on a Man from Uncle and your uh, just give me your uh, rating for that. And is it worth seeing uh, for our audiences? Uh, style, style over substance. Uh, a lot of it was just boring. There's the plot's pretty non-existent. I'm going to give it about a, a, a C minus. Mission Impossible. Uh, we'll go ahead and give that a, a B plus. That's great stuff and a good follow up to the last one. So, uh, and and the uh, new Woody Allen film. Uh, quickly, uh, we're going to give that. Um, I'm going to give that a B minus. It's not quite as bad as what people are saying, but it's it's. Uh, he's definitely retreading on themes that he explored previously in Match Point and Crimes and Misdemeanors. But but uh, worth seeing for for Woody fans and. Um, you know, so there you go. And that film is called Irrational Man, and that Irrational is in Man, uh, yes. some select theaters as well. Well, thank you guys, as always, for hanging out, spending time, listening to us talk movies. Adam, thank you, as always, man, for uh, for spending time with me. Uh, always enjoy Absolutely. it, uh, whether we're talking movies or just kind of hanging out. So uh, yeah, appreciate it. You can find Adam at focusnewspaper.com, and you can also uh, go to facebook.com and look for Cinema Scene and interact with us there. And uh, wgwg.org. Is where you can find our shows new and archived. And I will link to those uh, through our SoundCloud and also on iTunes. So there are a lot of places to find us. Uh, if you can't find us, it's because you're not looking. So until next time, I'm Noel Manning. That's Adam Long. And for Cinema Scene right here on WGWG.org, that's a wrap. <laughs>